This is not full of balloons, by the way. Good morning, church. Happy Father's Day. What is a dad? A dad is someone who holds you when you cry, scolds you when you've done wrong, you break the rules, shines with pride when you succeed, and has faith in you when you fail. You know, you, you know your children are growing up, don't you? When they stop asking you where they came from, but they refuse to tell you where they're going. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that the, the advice that we rejected from our parents, we're now giving our children? Yeah. <sighs> and also, you know, when you pass the mirror, sometimes you think, yes, my dad. <laughs> We've got to make fatherhood great again. It's lacking in so many things. How do we do that? We become great dads by bowing the knee to the ultimate father. If we bow the knee to the ultimate father, we are an example for our own children, for the people that we are mentoring. And then we move from good to great. To be a great father. I know most of us, perhaps, I, you know, myself, my father was very Victorian, and uh, he never said he loved me, never threw his arms around me, but he, uh, he, you know, he believed God's designed the hand for a certain part of the body, <laughs> you know. In James, it says this, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after the fatherless and the single mothers, or widows, it says here, but the single mothers, because they have to do two, two jobs. They've got to be that, that mother, they've got to be that father as well that brings discipline. The teacher was teaching a science project in uh, a junior school, and she, was, she wanted to introduce them to uh, magnetism. So she said to the juniors, she said, the subject today is, begins with an M and it picks up things. And little Johnny said, my mother. <laughs> Mothers, as we heard from the testimony, are so important. So rise up, men. Rise up your wives, your children, your neighbors need you. They need you to be fearless. They need you to be courageous. Never backing down from the noble calling of fatherhood. They need you to live, this is a big one, in integrity and discipline. Yeah. Eh? Integrity, which you don't see a lot of today. Especially when you look towards Parliament. We need to have integrity in our lives so that people look on and see it. There is a great father. I'm convinced you know, that much of what ails this broken society could be repaired and mended if men took up their true role as fathers. 
Bear Grylls, you all know Bear Grylls on the television. He's on there doing all these challenges and so forth. Well, apparently, um, in an interview, he, he's, got, he's been given three more programs of challenges to do. But in an interview, he regrets being an absent dad. Raising his sons is now the biggest challenge of his life. Hands-on dads, they're important. There are many dads, but they're not there. Perhaps they're not there physically, they're certainly not there emotionally. Hands-on dads. By the time a man realizes that his father was right, he has a son who thinks he was wrong. Noble fatherhood gives a glimpse of the divine. Now remember in the Old Testament the story of Esther. And remember there's going to be genocide. The king was going to wipe out the Jewish nation. But you may have been chosen for such a time as this, Esther was told, to go before the king and to plead the case for our people. And you know, they couldn't enter into the king's presence unless they were in, uh, invited. If they walked into the king without any invitation, they would have been killed, executed. But Esther must have trusted Mordecai greatly, for she determined to stand before the king for her people. And the famous verses, and if I die, I die. Words of faith. Words of courage, words that a daughter could say because she was raised by a father who made the right decisions. Remember this, a crisis does not develop character. A crisis reveals character. The character of Esther revealed must have been learned from observing her father's courage and character. But that's so very different from the priest Eli. His sons acted wickedly in the temple. And because he did not rebuke them or discipline them, God removed them. Now Samuel, we heard from the testimony, was brought up in that temple. And being, uh, the, being brought up in that temple meant he, he lived with Eli. He he grew, he got married, had two children. And it says, but his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside from after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Where did he learn those parenting skills from, I wonder? Discipline is important. Discipline as a father is important. God disciplines those he loves. So there has to be boundaries in our lives. But above all, there has to be boundaries in God's house. And we accept the father of the house. We, we accept his discipline because we know it's, it's coming from above and we trust him. And the other side of the coin is we must honor him. And trust what he says in our lives. Because it's for our good. Because he loves us. He loves every one of us. And that discipline is, is for the betterment. You know, it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. 
Proverbs 23. Listen to your father who gave you life. And do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom, discipline, and understanding. Buy the truth. Buy the truth and don't sell it. Every generation has to figure out what the truth is for their life. But not sell out to society. Don't let society change what you believe. In John chapter 8, it says, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. But we don't often speak that. You know, what we say is, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But we don't listen to the first part. If you hold to my teaching, if you hold to my discipline, if you hold to my uh, principles, discipline. See, the legacy that you're passing on the spiritual inheritance that you're passing on. It's your faith that will be tested by your children. What you believe is going to be tested. It's going to be pushed to the limit. It's going to be kicked against. They will walk over it. And even away from it. But here's the way you successfully transfer your faith. If you leave it, if you live it, sorry, if you live it, you can leave it. Hello? Hello? Are we living it? Are we living it? That's a question that we all must ask ourselves. If we were living it, this place would be overflowing. Abergavenny would be turned around, upside down, inside out. If all you have is talk, you talk one thing in church, perhaps. But you live a different life at home. You will not transfer your faith. You can see the, they can see the phoniness of your life. I remember when I was a young Christian and in work and I was trying to uh, witness to my, the other guy in the next drawing board to me and he said, uh, he said I can see in your, in your face, he said, you don't believe what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, that was a wake-up call, I tell you. You don't believe. They can read you like a book. If you live it, you can leave it. You've got to know what you stand for. You must have standards, Christian standards. You've got to have convictions and believe them deep down in your heart. Every generation has to buy the truth and not sell it out to figure out what their lives will do and will not do. What faith means to me, no matter what kind of pressure is put on you. I thought about you know, the good parents who were willing to sell everything to give their children a financial inheritance. You know, set them on, a, on a, a, a good footing. How much more important is the spiritual inheritance? How much more important? We've got the wrong, we've got the wrong weight. See, there are some things that you do that are questionable. You won't go to hell for it, but there, some things are questionable. 
But in doing them, you may be a stumbling block for your children. I remember uh, when I went to church for, uh, first and got converted first, and I was a bit of a drunkard, and I, ca- I carried on drinking, and then suddenly it dawned on me. I'm in front of the young people of the church. That's what your right arm is for, I used to say. What, what a witness. What a stumbling block. You know? Remember, one day your children will follow your example, not your advice. And you can't leave it to chance that your children are going to come to know the Lord. We have to put the Lord in front of them. The best way to do that is to let them see you being a worshipper. I'm not talking about coming here on a Sunday morning, whooping and hollering and lifting your hands in the air. What are you doing the rest of the week? Our lives are worshipping. That's what we've been called to do. That's what we were created for. To be a worshipper. And it's a sacrifice. We don't live fake and wishy-washy, phony lives the rest of the week. They will imitate what they see. So dads, come on. Let's, let's make a change. Let's stand for our children to have a great walk with God. We have to show them what that walk with Jesus is like. It's our responsibility. I thought about the. There's a great research going on in the DNA in people's lives. That's passed down through the parents. Now, if you don't mind me having a bit of fun, it's like that. <laughs> Designer jeans. You have a designer gene in every one of you. Amen? Each one of us this morning has a designer gene. Psalm 139. You were created in my inmost being. You've created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Take a look around at each other. Have a look at who's sitting around you. We are so different. And do you know there's millions in the world and God hasn't dropped a stitch my mother used to have, own a wool shop and she had mil- thousands of patterns you know God's got millions of patterns each one so different Dif- different fingertips we, there, isn't, there isn't another Gary Reynolds thank you <laughs> you didn't come from your mother and your father you came through them because God designed you. He gave you the talents. He gave you, he gave you the, a nose in the middle of your forehead. You know, you, some people think they're an accident. Parents have told you oh, you were an accident. Or we, didn't, we didn't plan you. God planned you. Every whip stitch in of you. God planned you. And he's got a destiny for you. you know, but the thing is, We've got to get into that. We've got to move into that. It's no good just saying, no, yes, hallelujah. We've got to do something about it and start receiving it and start moving it and appropriating it, what God is calling us to do. 
So dads, come on. He's got plans for your life. And they're hand-me-down jeans. Have you ever seen the hand-me-down jeans? I got... My son is, is my eldest child, and I got two girls doing him. Well, I, you know, he had <laughs> me down jeans. The girls didn't get on with boys' jeans. <laughs> they found that the buttons were on the wrong side. Why is this happening? Well, they were hand me down. They never fitted snugly because it wasn't, they weren't meant for them, obviously. And sometimes, you know, we get hand me down lives. My father. He used to have wrinkles, terrible furrows. And my mother used to say to me, how many potatoes have you planted in your furrows today? You know, thanks, Dad. You know, I got wrinkles from my dad, furrowed brows. I've also got wrinkled jeans, but the Bible tells us he's going to present us before God without spots and without wrinkles. I'm not going to have a wrinkle. <laughs> There are things that our forefathers and parents did that, we came, that came from, that were passed down to us. Wrinkled jeans. But there's also dirty jeans. You know, jeans are strong and are tough, but they get dirty. Because they're hard-wearing. Um, so, do you know your family legacy there are dirty jeans? Somebody in your family may have gotten involved in something which they shouldn't have. And now we find that genes have been developed in, and then we have the same problem in our lives. There's blue genes as well. <coughs> blue genes. <laughs> there are blue genes as well. Blue genes. Have you noticed the parents who are depressed? That they have blue genes. Their children may also be depressed. Parents who are cynical and critical. And no fun. More often than not, their children are uh, no fun. They pass the same old spirit down to their children. And their children act as gloomy as they did because they got blue jeans. Uh, Hebrews, they mention a gene in Hebrews. One might even say that Levi, <laughs> who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. It's saying that Levi was paying tithes while he was still in the loins of his grandfather. He wasn't even born yet. Levi had it in his genes because his grandfather was a tither. And God said, therefore, before the boy ever gets you, I'm going to give him credit. Because his father gave him, his father gave him hand-me-down genes that he will be a tither. What are we doing this morning? Who are you handing down your genes to? For what generation? Won't, you know, we won't even, won't even know us. We won't even see the generation but we're still handing down those genes. Yeah. Yeah. And lastly, they're holy genes. <coughs> holy genes. 
You know, you see more flesh on the high street today <laughs> than an oven-ready turkey at Christmas. It's right, isn't it? We see the flesh everywhere we go. Why aren't we seeing the spirit? Men, why aren't we seeing the spirit? If I read my Bible and if I pray, if I live for Christ and I shun evil and do what is right, I'm passing down holy genes. Not only to my children, but also to the new generation of Christians that I nurture or I disciple. I say, pour my life into theirs. Maybe you are a first generation Christian in your family. Maybe you have come from troubled backgrounds. Alcoholic, drug addiction, divorce, anger, abuse. That's all being passed down in your genes. But the good news is, you know, for those dirty genes, if I can get it out here. Right? Hallelujah. It's called vanish. And when you get a stain, pst, there are other products available as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got a better product than that. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. All sin, not just vanished, doesn't do all sin, all dirt. But all sin, the Hebrew word for all is all. That's every spot. You can get the, you can get the dirt, you can get right into the genes of your family and rub every spot of iniquity and, and sin out. I don't have to be addicted, I don't have to be bound. I don't have to be under a curse. The blood of Jesus Christ cleansed me from all sin. And we are cleansed this morning. We are whiter than white. And the thing is, with vanish, it, it, leaves, it leaves a mark, right? So it, it leaves part of the, the stain. But, you know, God gets rid of the sins and he doesn't remember. There's no remembrance of it. As a father and a mother, what type of hand-me-down genes are you passing to your next generation? Dirty or holy genes? Is your decision. Uh, to finish off with it, um, 10 days ago we celebrated the D-Day invasion, wasn't it? Operation Overlord. What a name. Operation Overlord. And often, on the 6th of June 1944, uh, off the Normandy beaches, well, off the beach of Utah was the Americans. The Americans in their troop carriers, and they, before they were about to disembark, there was a captain called James Dyson, and he was with his men, a platoon of 12 men. Young boys, no older than 18, straight from the, uh, the training camps. And he nurtured them and taken care of them and watched over them, and he put his life on the line for them. And as the, as the lieutenant was walking around, checking upon all these guys as they were preparing to disembark, 
I came across this uh, group of men, Captain James Tyson, and he was doing something very strange. He wasn't inventing the hoover on the back of a cigarette packet. The, the name's the clue. What he was doing, he was painting his helmet red. The back of his helmet red. He said, what on earth are you doing? He said, you're going to be a target for all the snipers. But he said, my men, my boys, he said, they've never been in warfare before and I am taking them over the side. And I told them they've got to follow me. There's going to be thousands of helmets running up the beach. But they have to follow one. One helmet painted red. I will lead them through the deep waters. I will lead them through the barricades. Through the minefields. He said, oh, oh, the friendly fire and the enemy fire. If they keep their eye on me, he said, I will lead them to the target that we are, we are supposed to go to. But many years ago, before that, there was another captain. And he had a platoon of 12 men. And we were also told to follow, follow me. And he painted it red. He painted the cross red with his blood. And he said to his platoon, follow me. And he says to you this morning, follow me. Follow me. I will lead you in paths of righteousness. The waters will not overflow you. You think you need a new house? You think you need a new spouse? You think you need a new car? You think you need a new body? You think you need a new PM? You think you need a new job? But what you need is a God in heaven who says, Call me Abba Father. You call out to me and I will listen. You call out to me and I will come. You call out to me and I will stop everything and I will put my arms around you and squeeze the fear out of you. I've read that when you give your heart to Christ, he returns the favor. He puts his heart within you. I've read that when you give your life to Christ, he writes your name in the book of life. I've read that he has made claim to you and he's not going to let you go. I've read that your Abba Father has blessed you with every spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. I've read that you are a new creation and all things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. I've read that you have obtained an inheritance, that you are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. I've read that you are a ambassador of Christ. You're afraid of the fragrance of Christ. You're being transformed into the image of Christ. I've read that you've been delivered from the powers of darkness and conveyed into the kingdom of his son. I've read that no one will be able to snatch you out of his father's hands. I've read that you, if you ask him, will receive. 
If you seek, you shall find. If you knock the door, it will be opened for you. And whatever you ask in the name of the Father, that he will give you. I've even read this. Greater is he that is in you than, than he that is in the world. He will hear your prayers. Not because we are worthy, but because he's the Father. He is a good, good father. Yes, he is. Have a good father's day.